Hi, I'm Ian, co-founder at Dig Insights and president of Dig's innovation insights platform, Upside. Welcome to Dig In. Dig In is the place to stay up to date on what's happening in the world of innovation, research, and technology, to find inspiration from today's business and innovation leaders, and to properly dig into hot topics that matter for consumer brands right now. And when applicable, we'll bring our own research to that conversation. Welcome back to this week's episode of Dig In. Today, I'm joined by Will, who's a conversion optimization consultant at Customers Who Click. Um, we're going to dive into how you can leverage research to improve digital conversion rates for D2C brands. Thanks so much for joining me, Will. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, I'm really excited to hear hear the kind of work that you do. Can you can you tell the listeners a little bit about your background? Yeah, so uh, I've been in uh, B2C marketing for about 11 years um, at a, a few different startups. Uh, I had a business of my own for a couple of years and then ended my kind of in-house career at uh, one of the biggest uh, casino uh, firms in, in the UK, uh, which is quite an interesting role as, as head of conversion. Uh, and I left there November 19 to uh, to go out on my own as a consultant and work with um, many D2C brands, but uh, anyone selling on e-commerce, really. And the reason I got into this is because in those startups, mainly, um, I kept seeing the same problem. So marketing teams were generally handed large budgets and told, go and acquire customers. Mm. And basically the... Um, the approach to it was that the marketing team's job was to go and drive traffic. And that was kind of it. There was a bit of a, an acknowledgement that email kind of came into it as well. But yeah, it was generally you drive traffic. If traffic is not converting, it's your fault. You're obviously using the wrong ads, targeting the wrong people. So I started to uh, kind of push into the product and development teams and say, look, I'm, I'm speaking to customers. I'm doing a bit of customer service. These issues keep popping up there are problems with the app or the website or, you know, whatever it was at the time. So I started to work more closely with them on how we can actually take the customer feedback into account and, and improve these things. And sometimes it was uh, AB tested. And sometimes if it, if it just wasn't possible at the time, we just, uh, you know, we just put it live, see what happens over a few days and then and roll it back if needed. But um, yeah, that's kind of where it came from this, this general approach that marketing is just supposed to acquire customers or sorry, drive traffic and those traffic and that traffic should just convert. Um, when in reality, if the website's not good enough, if the app isn't good enough, uh, and often is if the product isn't good enough, you're not going to get the conversions. Yeah. And I, I guess, I mean, I live in a different world than a B2C, a D2C brand. Um, but you kind of see that divide all the time between marketing, being tasked with driving traffic, um, and then not actually having that connection or that bridge between the product team um, on a B2B, on the B2B side. Um, and I guess that that's kind of similar in, in the D2C world as well. Um, so I, I totally get it. Uh, just different, different yeah. contexts for me. You, you see them in, in B2B, you see it where the marketing team is, is basically just tasked with, the, with driving leads. Yeah. And so they will acquire any leads they can and as many of they, as they can. And then it's the sales team's fault if they're not converting those leads into customers. When actually the, the general issue is, obviously you might have some bad salespeople who just are not good at selling, but generally the case is the leads are just terrible. Yeah. You know, I, I've probably popped up in over a thousand 
uh, businesses databases because I've filled out a form for an ebook or um, a demo or a webinar or whatever. And at those times, I was never the decision decision maker. So I was never going to be converted by a salesperson. But because the marketing team didn't really do the qualification, or there's no qualification process, the, the salesperson has to waste their time on me, uh, doesn't get a sale, and it looks bad on them. Um, yeah. So it's the same it, it, It's the same in B2C, except often it uh, for some reason it, it kind of works the other way in that it looks bad on the marketing team when they drive mm-hmm. the traffic and it doesn't convert. So the marketing team gets a lot of the blame in a B2C context, whereas the sales team is often the, um, the, where the blame goes uh, in a B2B context. And I definitely resonate with that. Um, it, it makes total sense. I mean, a few years ago, I remember we could probably have a whole podcast just about, you know, the, the ways in which B2C and B2B are, are so similar these days, but with the whole ebook argument, like I remember just throwing up LinkedIn ads, um, trying to get people to download a specific ebook and hoping that those leads would then be nurtured through email marketing. And it's like really not, it's really not that simple anymore. Um, and that doesn't necessarily make for good leads. And so it's, it's an exciting time to be in B2B because I think a lot of people are trying to borrow from a lot of what the B2C businesses are doing um, that seems to to kind of be working well. Um, I'd love to to just get a better sense from you of like exactly what you help your customers with. So I think I really understand the problem, but what do you kind of go in and and do at some of these D2C brands? Yeah, so the the two main areas I focus on are are conversion rate optimization and marketing automation. So email, SMS, uh, all these workflows that uh, customers and leads go through automatically. And the reason I do both is because I think it's roughly 96% of people when they visit your website are not ready to buy. Mm. So when you're optimizing for conversion, you're really optimizing for that 4% and trying to convert as many of that, as much of that 4% as you can, which is why conversion rates are, you know, three, four, 5%. So it doesn't make sense as a, as a CRO to only focus on the website optimization when really and, and this does apply to, to more roles as well. My role is to generate value for the company, mm. uh, to imp- improve the company, to, to generate revenue for it. And if that means uh, driving uh, lead generation instead, you know, th- there might be a business out there where it's so difficult. Uh, it's like kind of a D2C business. People just buy online, it's e-commerce. But for some reason, everybody wants uh, uh some sort of information actually an example would be snug sofa right snug sofa you're buying a sofa online from them their conversion rate i, I don't know what the numbers are because they haven't told me so just making that clear <laughs> um, but they uh, they've told me that the numbers the conversion rate is much much better if someone orders a sample of um swatches right so the samples of fabrics and so it would make sense from a cro point of view to make that almost the primary goal initially if, if someone is a new customer, a new visitor to this website, let's get them to sign up. Let's get them, let's get their, their details. Let's get them to order that, uh, those samples. Whereas, you know, other, there'll be other CROs who say, well, that's not my responsibility because I'm not there to do lead gen. I'm there to get revenue and sales, right? So they're going to, they will focus on purely the optimizations that will drive people to a purchase. 
but that's always going to have its limitations. So my approach is I will do some of that, obviously, because I want to make it easier for the people who are ready to buy to buy. But if they're not ready to buy, let's capture their email. Let's then nurture them. Um, let's capture some zero party data as well. So in the example of a sofa again, are they buying it? For, you know, It might be questions like how big is their property? Which room is it for? How many people um, are how many people are living there? When they're looking to buy their budget, their colors, their preferences, that sort of stuff. So you can put that into the marketing automation and say, right, you said you're moving house in three months. So we're going to slowly nurture you over these next three months. And then three, four days before you, your moving date, we're going to ping you an email and say, cool, you're moving in a few days, order your sofa now and, and it'll be there a, a day after you move in, something like that. And because you've got the rest of the data, you're able to say, we'd recommend this sofa or this corner sofa or um, buy this one because it's, you know, depending on the data you've captured, and I know that Snug is quite modular. So they could say, well, buy this sofa because if you find that you do have the space, you can just buy some add-ons to it and make it a bigger sofa. Whereas if you buy the too big a sofa and it's it's too big for your space, you might end up just sending the whole thing back. Right. So... I hope this has kind of answered the question. I think, um, yeah, no, yeah, Sarah, it has. It's really interesting. I'm just think it's so it's so interesting to hear about it from. I've never worked in B two C marketing, so it's just it's just really interesting to. I mean, the the first thing that pops to mind is how do you capture that, and that's probably, um, you know, a huge proponent of what you you're helping people with. But how do you capture that information in B two B? We call them leads. How do you capture that information in an intuitive way like how do you capture all of that information what's your approach to um like personalizing that that inevitable nurture experience based on um the information because i know from like a form fill perspective that can be really challenging like you don't want to ask too many questions um, how do you approach that yeah i mean you're never going to convert everyone yeah right so you need to bear that in mind and say well you know only a certain percentage of people are going to fill out, fill in this form. There will always be people who close it. Uh, there will always be people who just don't want to pass over this data. Mm. So uh, obviously, yeah. So you know immediately you're probably looking at at best 20, 30% if you really nail it. So just setting uh, expectations, I suppose. Um, and then it's just about being honest with customers really and explaining why you want this data. Yeah. You know, if I'm if I'm let's go back to sofas, right? If I'm, I'm selling sofas and I'm asking you your your date of birth, your salary, your title, um, what else would be pointless? Uh, you know, if I'm ask, asking information that clearly I want to know as a business for some reason, um, but is no value to you, you're not going to answer the questions. But if I'm asking you when are you moving, or, or sorry, why do you want a new sofa? And you tell me you're moving. So I ask, okay, well, when are you moving? Mm. Uh, what sort of property are you moving into? And these questions and with statements that say, you know, this, this is going to help us recommend the right, uh, the right sofa to you. That's what gets people to convert. And it's always helpful to give a discount. Obviously, um, I, I would still recommend that on that first purchase because people are still handing over that data and, you know, it, you just want that first purchase, right? 
you do want to get people in. So if it's going to cost you 10%, but you're also acquire, you're, you're capturing the leads of 10, 15% of the people who visit your website instead of three or 4%, then you're, you're massively better off. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. And I'm, I'm, as you're walking me through that example, I'm thinking of, you know, the beauty brands that I've shopped with online who are essentially asking me all of those questions. Um, but it feels like an interactive quiz, you know, like it feels very, it feels very intuitive. I I'm getting value out of it as well. So that that's really interesting. And I, I mean, there, there are two ways you can do it. So there are brands like that where you can get that quite natural product wizard in. And it's, it's literally a case of answer, answer some questions and we will tell you which product is right for you. Right. And then there might be the example of Slunk Sofa where maybe that doesn't quite work mm. because really all the sofas are quite, you know, all the sofas are fine for me. It's just whether one fits in my room and I can, I can figure that out for myself really. Yeah. So with Slunk Sofa, it's a bit more, um, it's you more know, allow preference. us to, yeah. yeah, allow us to recommend you, allow us to remind you um, here's a discount if you sign up but yeah with a, a beauty brand or any kind of meal prep or meal uh, like recipe kits anything like that you've you ask the questions so that you can then say cool here is your bundle of products yeah yeah and you're relying on that brand for their I guess expertise in their products yeah. right um so interesting so we've kind of touched on it a little bit um, but I imagine you kind of have like a framework that you approach each of your clients with in terms of, you know, depending on what their needs are, um, how you're going to go about optimizing their conversion rates. Can you walk me through kind of what a brand would expect from working with you? Yeah. So there's two, uh, I guess, two kind of frameworks, I suppose. Um, the first is the general process of, of working together, right? So that st always starts with research. So whether that's browsing through Google Analytics to identify blockages on a website or where there might be um, breakages as well. So if there's a certain browser that's, that's having problems, then there's heat maps, click maps and session recordings, which tell you, you know, once you've identified that blockage, how are people interacting with that page? And therefore, you know, is it something that's broken or is it something that people are just not understanding or they're not, you know, is it, is it the case that something looks like a button and it's not? or something that should be a button, people aren't thinking as a button, that sort of thing. Uh, and then there's customer interviews. So as well, sorry, there's a few few forms of actual customer feedback. So there's the on-site surveys. So things like exit intent. Uh, what's the number one reason you haven't made a purchase today? Uh, what is the one thing we could do to improve this page? That sort of thing. Um, really helpful. Again, um, you'd be surprised what sort of feedback you get. On almost every website I work on, free shipping and free, uh, sorry, the shipping and returns policies come up as frequent questions in there. So it's clear that these just aren't displayed prominently enough on the website. And as the business owner or the website owner, you'll be looking at this website thinking, but I know it's there, right? Why aren't people right. seeing it? And it, you're just kind of, I suppose it's the opposite to banner blindness, really. I, I don't know what the word for it would be, but you know it's there. So you can point it out immediately. Yeah. But you only can do that because you know it's there. Yeah. Um, and then the final, yeah, final version would be uh, customer interviews. So literally jumping on 30 minute calls. Uh, I've got one literally after this podcast recording. Awesome. Um, and it's it's finding out why people buy. Um, what was going on? Was it a certain event they bought for? Um, 
uh, what do they like from the products? So what's important to them on the product page? What information do they want to see about the product? And then what information do they want to see about the business as well? And you're trying to answer the questions. Is this the right product for me? And is this the right business to buy that product from? Mm. With the first question obviously being the more important. If you can't convince someone that the product's right, then it doesn't matter if you look like an amazing business. If you've got an amazing product and you've convinced people of that, you've got a better chance of converting them. But if people are skeptical about the legitimacy of your business or the trustworthiness, then obviously you're going to struggle to convert people. So it's really important to improve both. And three ways of targeting this. So this is kind of the other sort of framework I use. There's usability, which is how does your website work? How does it operate? Uh, a, a very basic part of that is, does it actually work properly or is anything broken? Yeah. Um, but the main perp- main kind of point and direction of this is, does the website make it easy to do what the customer needs to do? So if they land on a product through a, an advertisement and that product is not what they want, does the website make it easy for them to find the one they do want? And then obviously, does it allow them to, to add to cart, to pay for it? Are they, if they need to pick a size, is that easy and obvious? All that sort of thing. It's basically, it's the functional stuff of, can I browse the website? Can I find what I want? Can I buy it? Uh, then there's anxiety. So the anxiety are the doubts and concerns a customer might have about buying from you. And generally, this is dealt with through things like social proof, um, social proof, uh, free returns or returns policy. Uh, the presence of customer service helps. So literally just having live chat on there. It doesn't matter if people interact with it, but having live chat there oh, can so be a positive indicator to people. Um, same with an email or a phone number. If contact details are available, it makes people feel more comfortable. But if I can't see any way of contacting you, then it doesn't matter if you've got a double your money back 100 day guarantee because if i don't think i'll be able to actually claim it then i'm not going to make the purchase in the first place that's so true like i'm just thinking of my own shopping experience that's 100 percent true um sorry go <laughs> go on <laughs> um and obviously the final point part part of uh anxiety is is this you know is the product going to work mm. right am i am i convinced the product's actually going to do what it tells me uh, do what it promises uh, and then the third, third point, which is the most powerful point, is motivation. So does the website motivate me to make that purchase? And some of that is the kind of tactical stuff like, you know, scarcity, urgency, um, you know, or place your order by 3 p.m. to receive it tomorrow, that sort of thing. That helps. But the real motivation comes from, do I get excited about this product? Right. So if I'm looking at the images, if I'm re- reading the copy about it, the benefits, um, the the way it's been manufactured, the science behind it, all that sort of stuff. Am I convinced that the, this product is going to be amazing for me and is going to change my life? Now, obviously, people don't think like that. You know, I'm, I'm exaggerating it a bit, but that's what you really need to get people doing. And you know, if if anyone if, if someone has a doubt about a product, they're not going to buy it. But if you read the read the reviews, if you read the description, the ingredients, maybe uh, look at the pictures and see people wearing nice looking clothes or shoes or whatever, or jewelry. That's the thing that's going to make you go, I need that. I need that in my life because I haven't got that. And so I don't look that good, but I want to look that good. So I need to buy that product. It's like motivation and kind of aspiration as well. Right. Like, you know, I want 
I want to look like that person and perhaps I will if I if I purchase this um yeah exactly which is why um social selling is working working quite well you know mm-hmm. if you um you can uh, take UGC stick it on your website tag up the different products and so when people see them and go that looks like an amazing outfit I want to buy it all and they've just got to click you know click 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 uh, add to cart and buy uh, and it works and it works in so many industries as well you know at a very basic level you've just got to have happy people in your images right so even if you've got a product that isn't clothing or you know people you know if it's something like um i don't know some sort of green smoothie right if you've got someone who's looking really happy drinking it that's that's something that's going to that just kind of nudges people and makes them uh makes them accept it a bit more yeah yeah, I know there's a, I mean, I work for a software company, so like, I'm, well, an agency in a software business, um, but the, in our ads, they always perform better if there's a human in the ad, <laughs> like as opposed yeah. to a product shot or anything like that. I know that, um, you know, we're always trying to, to change things up, but up to this point, I've never had a better performing LinkedIn ad or Facebook ad. Um, that it always basically what I'm trying to say is it always has to include a person. Um, so I, yeah. I definitely well, the, know that. The interviews I'm doing at the moment, I think all four people so far have said they would like to see models wearing the shoes. Interesting. That's the feedback. What, what's actually interesting is that one person said they didn't care if they couldn't see the whole model, they just needed to see. A foot in the shoe basically wow. maybe a bit more than that that's not that wasn't their wording but that when I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I was going into the detail a bit and he said yeah it didn't doesn't need to see a full picture of someone like wearing the whole outfit and, and everything like that but he just wants to see a, a, a picture of someone wearing the product wow um i had so many questions popped up while we were chatting i mean one thing i'm interested in is who kind of hires you? Like, is it a marketing director that brings you in? Is it, because I'm thinking about the thing. So you, you were talking about the swatch example, for instance, like um, hopefully a marketing director at a DTC brand would, would know what, you know, would know that like nugget of insight that people who purchase swatches um, or sorry, people who order swatches are, you know, more likely to convert on the website. Um, but I'm also wondering about other, you know, financial information about, you know, uh, your best customers or like anything like that? Like, are you brought in by um, like the revenue side of the business, the sales side of the business? I, I'm curious who, who typically reaches out. It is, it's normally the, the marketing or e-commerce side. Okay. Um, I mean, sometimes it, sometimes it can be a managing director or founder of, you know, smaller businesses. Um, otherwise it'll be, yeah, like whoever the most senior marketing or e-commerce person, okay. they, they're generally the one who, uh, has either because they've either got responsibility for advertising, in which case improved conversion rates is better for them because there's reduced CPAs, uh, which means their budget goes further. Or on the e-commerce side, they're responsible for sales and revenue a bit a bit more generally. So they're interested because they want to convert more of that traffic into customers and sell more product. Mm. So yeah, it, it tends to be one one of those two. And how? how is business like are you finding that there's a lot of issues right now uh with uh, are you seeing like similar trends or similar things happening at a lot of the the companies that you're working with 
Yeah, I mean, most most companies aren't doing CRO. Okay. Um, so some might be doing a little bit of A/B testing, but it's not really CRO. It's just the the one-off A/B test on something that's come up. Um, but very few are doing it with data and research backed uh, insights uh, with a proper a proper process behind it. Um, on the email side, vast majority of companies still just ask for a name and email in exchange for a 10% code. You can't do anything with that data apart from literally just email this person. You've got no idea why they've signed up, what they want, what products they're interested in, uh, when they're looking to purchase. So without that data, you can only provide them a generic welcome series, which you know they still do okay. But you're gonna do you can do ten times better if you've got a little you know answer to ask a few questions, gather a little bit of data from these people, and you start to segment them. And if you can say, well, I know that you're interested in men's products versus women's products, or um, you have this particular pain point. You know, if, you, if you're in health and nutrition, uh, this person might say, yeah. So a good example of this is actually Noom. Mm. Uh, do you know Noom? Yeah. The the kind of fitness app. They, they have an onboarding process, right, which asks you loads of questions. But the very first question on the homepage is, are you, I think it's, are you looking to uh, lose weight or get healthier or something like that? And I think one, basically one's diet, one's exercise. Gotcha. I, th- I think is the way they do it. So it's stuff like that, right? You know, if, what, is, what is your goal if you're, and this can apply to so many uh, like edible or drinkable um, or consumable uh, products, right? There's going to be loads where you can say to this person, what is your interest in buying these products? You know, we're getting loads of like high protein cereals and things and low sugar, right? So is your, is your motivation for buying that because you don't want cereal with sugar or is it because you want cereal that's high in protein? Mm. Those two people are going to respond to slightly different messages. I mean, the, the person who wants high protein probably still doesn't want the sugar. But the person who wants no sugar might not care about the protein. Yeah. Yeah. It's reminding me a little bit of, we worked with a, a client in the kids snack space um, and we're working on, on pack claims essentially. So we were doing research into what worked and, and what didn't. And they had one message that they were leading with, um, like it was about probiotics and they realized that like, they were like, why are our sales doing so poorly and it was because moms and dads didn't care about their kids eating probiotics they cared that it tasted good and that there was you know real ingredients um but they they didn't care about the the one sort of message that they were leading with and so obviously they've they've switched it up and everything but that one sort of leading message is so important um so yeah no i am i know what you i know what you mean um, so in terms of customers that you typically work with, I know they're, they're all in the D2C space, well, largely in the D2C space. Um, do you have any kind of examples you could walk us through or um, any recent projects you want to talk to? Talk to? Yeah, um, yeah, so I, I do a little bit of work with the odd B2B client. Um, if it's like more of a self-service, like SaaS product, where you know, conversion rate optimization does a similar thing, right? You, you're driving loads of traffic to your website. You just want more of them to sign up to an account and yeah. all that sort of thing. But yeah, most of my work by a long way is, is D2C or e-commerce. Um, what have I done recently? That's, that's really interesting to talk about. So I've had one which, 
not strictly speaking CRO, but again, it comes into this area of just general improvement for the business, right? And it, and it will have a positive impact, I'm sure. With one client, um, we realized that they had, customers had concerns about setting this product up. So it's basically custom PCs, right? So they're spending quite a bit of money on them. Um, but some customers were not too knowledgeable about how to actually set up a PC from scratch. So what we did was, and I think, I think this idea came out of my podcast, an early episode of my podcast. I think so. Anyway, um, the idea was to put a postcard in with every order that shipped, which had a QR code on it, which, and it said something like scan me, something really simple. Customers would scan it. It would take them to a page which had loads of information on how to set up a PC, how to maintain a PC, how to contact the company if you had any problems, um, a contact form if you just had a like a question or suggestion or something. And this recently got called out in a five-star review, which, and the five-star review was pretty much, uh, I got this, it was, I can't remember the exact wording, but something like I got this QR code through, just had to scan it, and it gave me loads of useful information about how to set up the PC. I've not seen this before. Right, so for me, that was great because something I did got called that yeah. five-star review, so that's fantastic. But that's going to have a positive impact because not only is it five-star review, which is great, but anyone who reads that review knows that the company supports you when they send the product out. Mm. They don't just send it out and say, there you go, done, there's your product. They give you the information you need to support yourself. Uh, so that's that's one of the pieces I've done there. Um, I know I've got loads, but I'm trying, <laughs> trying to think. Oh, one I did with um, a P2C company recently, which, which has worked really well. So again, lo- loads of companies will just stick on their website uh, free delivery over 50 pounds or whatever. So what I did was we've, we've implemented this uh, dynamic shipping message. So if a product is under their free shipping threshold, it says uh, free shipping on orders over 40 pounds now, I think. If the uh, product is over 40 pounds, then the message just says free shipping. Uh, and this had a really good impact on conversion rate on both mobile and desktop because people aren't having to work it out. They're not having to double check. Uh, there's, there's no kind of confusion. The message says you're going to get free shipping. And the next test we're going to run is, is doing uh, free returns messaging and checkout uh, in a similar way. So obviously everything gets free returns, but we're going to have this highlighted message in checkout, which will say you're getting free returns on this order, uh, which I'm hoping will reduce checkout uh, drop off. Um, another one I've, I've tested is, you know, other things I've tested are things like, you know, free shipping thresholds, right? Mm-hmm. One client, uh, when I started work, working with them, I think their free shipping threshold was about 70 pounds and their median, a median uh, order value was just under 30 pounds. It's 29. It's just under 29 pounds actually, because they had some, some lower priced items. Um, so obviously 70 pounds is, is more than three times what the actual average, like most common purchase is, which means that so many people are miles off that. And the general accepted rule is, I think 15 to 20% higher than your AOV. Mm. Right? So AOV was, I don't know, 35 pounds or something. It was just over that 30 pound mark, but the actual median value, the most common value was under 30 pounds. So we dropped it down, dropped it down about 10 pounds and it had a little bit of a boost. 
and then dropped it down again to 50. And that's where we saw like a decent impact. So not only in conversion rate, but also average order value because more people were pushing to reach what was an, an attainable uh, free shipping threshold. Whereas previously people thought, well, there's no point adding this 15 pound product in order to get free shipping because I won't. I'm going to have to buy two of these, an extra one of these just to get free shipping. Yeah. Whereas we brought it down to a level where someone could say, well, actually, if I just buy a second one, which I probably need anyway, I get free shipping. Yeah. That's so interesting. I love that. Um, but I think it's, it's really important to look at the median uh, order values, not just the AOV. Yeah. Because if it, because your AOV will be driven up by people who do spend significantly higher. And, you know, with an average order value, so a median of about £29, an average order value, a mean average of, it was about 35 there were people spending 150 200 and like a reasonable number. So that's what, that's really what was dragging up that average order value mm. and making the, and making the founders of the business think that their, their actual average order value was higher. But then it was about some like 70% of their orders were just under the 30 pound mark. So that's, that's the number they needed to be targeting for that, um, that free shipping threshold. Really cool. This has been awesome. Thank you so much, Will, for joining for joining me today. Um, it's given me a lot to think about as someone who manages conversion rates for, for my website. Um, I'm sure that other people will find this really, really valuable. Um, if people want to connect with you, uh, or I know you mentioned you have a podcast as well, where can they kind of find you? Yeah, so there's the Customers Who Click podcast on Spotify, iTunes, probably everywhere you can get it. Um, or best way is just contact me on LinkedIn. So just connect with me, mention the podcast, uh, say hi. Yeah. Um, pretty active on LinkedIn. I share loads of content, loads of advice. So, um, yeah, that, that'd be the best way of reaching me. Awesome. I will talk to you soon. Brilliant. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Dig In. If you want more information about Dig Insights or Upside, please check us out on LinkedIn or at our websites at diginsights.com or upside.com. If you have any ideas for future episodes or would like to be a guest, please feel free to direct message me through the LinkedIn app.